This is The Gathering Podcast, episode 15. Welcome to The Gathering Podcast, everybody. Today is March 17, 2020, and we are praying that you are staying safe and healthy in these difficult times. Last week, we had the opportunity to sit down with Bonnie Harris and her staff from Hannah's Haven here in Greensboro, North Carolina. Hannah's Haven is a teen challenge center that helps women develop in a spirit, mind, and body so they can become all they were created to be in Christ. In partnership with the community, Hannah's Haven provides a safe and a stable environment for women who are in recovery from substance abuse. You can go and check all the testimonials and great things that they are doing at their website, hannahshaven.net. So, with no further ado, this is Pastor Wade Parker and Bonnie Harris at The Gathering Podcast. So, what a time we had the last evening you guys were with us. Mm-hmm. Yep. That, was, that was awesome. Yes. Yeah. Just to come into a place where God's moving like that. And, and you folks seem to have a certain energy about you that you just bring some excitement into a place like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we talk about, we think about the goodness of the Lord and where we could have been. And then being able to you worship. You just gonna start right off preaching, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just jump right in that, didn't she? <laughs> Does she ever start singing that? When she thinks about. <laughs> you might not want me to say it. We forget. We all sing together. Yeah. That's great. Yes. That's good. Go on. Go on. I'm ready to hear it now. God is good. You know, he's so good. He's so merciful. You know, I got saved when I was um, in 1983, the old-fashioned way, where you wore the long skirts and you didn't wear the makeup. But I believe that taught me self-control. I believe that taught me about the fruit of the Spirit. I believe that taught me how to have, you know, um, like I said, self-control and, and, and just how to worship the Lord. And then... God took, I went on a journey. God didn't take me, but he used it. I went on a journey after I got saved and I ended up on the streets and I ended up on crack cocaine. And so being on crack cocaine and being out there on the street, I already knew about God, but I just know that I want, I knew something different, but I didn't know how to turn back around for a long time. And so I left my kids and I left my mom and, you know, I was married. My husband and I split up and that's because we was having problems and I didn't know how to go to the church to talk about my problems. So I, I, I hid it. And I kept it locked up inside of me and I didn't tell nobody because I was like, I can't tell nobody what's going on in my household because I was taught how to hold secrets. And so then those secrets, by me holding secrets, it got to the point at one point I couldn't hold them no more. So that's when I ended up in that type of sin. 
because I was already in sin, but I ended up in a deeper world of trouble and I ended up on the streets and I ended up like just being away from my kids and not allowing my kids to be kids and not allowing them to have the mom. They already didn't have the dad. Now they didn't have the mom. And so they was three and five at that time. And when I got on my knees and I said, God, help me, my kids was eight and ten. So I got on my knees and I asked God to do that. And he ended up putting me in high point into a treatment center. So I went into that treatment center and I looked in that drawer and I had a Bible and it was one of the Gideon Bibles. And I went to the Gideon Bible and I looked at Psalm 51 because right before I started, right before I went to the street, I read Psalm 51. And when David asked God to create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew the right spirit, I didn't really know why David asked God that until I came back to the Lord. And when I came back to the Lord, I realized I went in that deeper and I realized the reason David asked God that because of all the sin that he had committed. And so then when I came back, I was asking God, God created me a clean heart and renew the right spirit within me against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. And I did that in treatment. I didn't go wow. to a Christian treatment center, but I did that in treatment because of that Gideon Bible that was Thank in God that drawer. Thank God for the Gideon. Thank mm -hmm. God for those, right. that Gideon Amen. Bible and wow. the Gideons that put it there. You know, and so then I stayed in there and they said, you can't stay here. I was like, why? Because I didn't have no money. I didn't have uh, no uh, ID and I didn't have no insurance. I didn't have anything. So they told me that I couldn't stay there. And I was like, but I can't go nowhere. And I knew God told me to go there. And so then the, the doctor came in and he said, we're going to admit you, but we, you going against all our rules. And I knew then God had opened a door for me. <laughs> and so that's why today women can come to Hannah's Haven without money. They don't need money to get there. They don't need money to come there. The only thing they need is a heart to want to change. And that's what I had. That's what God had given me. So I stayed in there and I ended up in Greensboro as my um, recovery home. So I came here in 1993 and my kids was with my sister. But my kids, uh, my sister couldn't continue to do that for me because she was in her early 20s when I went to rehab. And she had three kids with my two and her one, and my mom had died. And so it was like my sister was taking care of my kids, but she couldn't continue to do that. So on Thanksgiving Day, my kids and I became homeless. Thanksgiving Day in 1993, we was homely on the, homeless on the streets of Greensboro, but I didn't use no more. I stayed faithful to what I told God. I told God, if you heal me, if you take the taste of crack cocaine out of my mouth, I won't pick it up again. And I have it. And um, so we stayed and then we ended up in the shelter. But Salvation Army gave me money to stay in the hotel for a little while. And so then I went to Urban Ministry and they put me in one of their rooms for women, for families. And so I stayed in Pathways for three months. And God started opening doors for my kids and I to move into an apartment. And my son looked at me and he said, Mama, we keep on trusting in God. He's going to make sure we have a place to live. I said, that's right, son. See, my son had got filled with the Holy Spirit while I was in treatment. And my daughter, they all knew about the Lord. And um, so I knew they knew how to pray. And so they kept, we kept praying, and God just started opening doors for us. So I found a job in 1994 at Dow Corning. 
And I stayed at that job until 2005. And in 2005, um, God told me it's time for me to quit and do what he called me to do. By this time, my kids was grown and they, was, they had left home. And so I just um, gave my resignation. But before then, when Dow Corning hired me, they said, um, we're hiring you. We want you to work second shift. I said, I can't do it because I didn't have nobody to watch my kids. And they told me, they said, we're not going to give your job away. We're going to give you two weeks to find a babysitter. See, God had all this planned out. God had a plan and a purpose for me. And see, people wonder why I worship the way I do, because there's no way that my life could have turned out like it's turning out without Jesus. Wow. I know Amen. he's the one wow. that did this. And I know that I got to give back to him on what he gave to me. And I give him my worship. I want all of him because he's given me all of him. And I want to give him all of me because he said, here I am, Bonnie. Just receive me. And so we stayed there, and then God just started working on my heart about going back, getting other women that was once in the place that I was in. And so in 2003, we started that process. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have that kind of background. I don't have a business degree. I don't have anything. I just have a heart to want to serve the Lord. I just have a heart to want to see other women serve the Lord. I have a heart to want to see other women come off the street and their identity become in Christ and not in what they did. Their identity is not in their failure. Their identity is not in their addiction. Their identity is in Christ. Because Christ said, he, I was wonderful and fearfully made. And that's what he told me to tell these women. He told me to tell them that they're wonderfully and fearfully made and they're not their addiction. And so we started that process in 2003. In 2006, we took in our first lady. And in, for, um, for the last 14 years, we've taken in 123 women and because um, we only have six beds. And so the beds that we have, we, they, we stay full at all times. And we teach them how to have a relationship with the Lord. And we teach them that they're not their addiction. Wow. That's where the worship came from. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yeah. That is awesome. Mm -hmm. Wow. And I like what you're saying that they're not their addiction. So there's right. a moment where the greatest conflict is actually, I am this person, I am a crack or whatever kind of thing, you know. So what, what is that, uh, what is the major challenge when you start to, to work with somebody at Hannah's Haven. What's the, or in, in this time that you've been doing this for so many years, when you start to work with people, what is the greatest challenge that you find in them to go through this whole process? Because I saw on the website, you guys have a, a six step uh, or pathway, and you call it right? Mm -hmm. So, a process. So, what's like the biggest challenge that people go through all this process that you've seen? The first biggest challenge is them learning where their identity is and them learning who they are, and that they don't have to be back in that place again, that they don't have to. That is one of the biggest challenge. And the next challenge, I believe, is transition. When they transition, they are with us for a year, and then after they get ready to leave us, now it's time for them to transition back into society. And so that is challenging in itself. After we teach them about their mind and how they can think different. Because if I can think different, then I may be able to do different. But any one what of them of, can tell you. 
what kind of transitions, um, struggles with the transition? Um, because when that when you first come to Hannah's Haven, when you leave that world you was using, and then when you go back out to that world, you're not using no more. So now it's like everybody else is. My family didn't go through treatment. My my friends didn't go through treatment. So now I need to change my people, places, and things. I need new friends. I need new ways of hand, hanging out. I need new people to walk with me when I leave here. I need people to show me how to live without the use of drugs and alcohol because that's the only thing that I knew. I didn't know anything else. I didn't know how to be a mother to my kids, but somebody taught me how. I didn't know how to pay bills, but somebody taught me how. I didn't know how to go to work every day, but somebody taught me how. Getting up early, reading my Bible, and Bible study, and going in there and going in the Bible study and knowing that if I come to your church, that I'm no different than your wife. Both of us are women, and both of us love the Lord. Right. And I'm now lower than, and I'm not higher than. So teaching women that, that just because they came from addiction, they're not lower than anybody. That we're all level at the foot of the cross. What is, what is about identity that can not only break addiction, but can definitely change everything? Well, because that seems to me like, and there are people that will listen to this, because this podcast, because the addiction theme, right? What is about addiction that it makes so much, such a big difference, do you think? What is it that if people identify as this kind of person, they're definitely going to drive their behavior towards that? And how long do you think it takes for a person to, to have that change of mind of, okay, this is not who I am anymore. I am not, not going to act like this or not going to think like this. I think for, for one of the things that was so big for me, I spent 40 years in addiction, and for me... Um, I had such an orphan spirit. You know, I can take care of myself. I didn't need somebody else to help me. So even though, um, no matter how I was struggling, I still wanted to do it myself. I was like a tea bag that had been steeped in pride. I mean, I was so prideful about how I could take care of myself. And then I had a, a situation with pride that I didn't even know was prideful because I thought I was lower than other people. And so as when I was in the program, as they began to, help me correct that thinking and see that biblical truth that um for me it was harder because I have a brother who's adopted so the word adoption for me kind of created a spirit just to kind of smash it down for you I, I took on a spirit of rejection as my family adopted my brother so the word adoption for me was I mean, like a four-letter word, I didn't want to be adopted. So to be able to receive that spirit of sonship and realize that somebody had to die, Christ had to die for me to have an inheritance and, you know, to have the same inheritance that everybody else has was hard for me to wrap my head around. But hearing that scriptural truth on a daily basis and help somebody walk with me daily and be able to see into the soul spirit hurts that I had and all the ungodly beliefs that I had just piled on. I came from such a background of deception. I mean, it, I, 
I could, I struggled to even, I got to a point where I was so delusional, I couldn't even separate the truth from a lie anymore. I didn't know the difference. But in reading God's word, like Miss Bonnie said, over and over again, and having my, my mind renewed on a daily basis by reading scripture, it just literally changed the way I thought. And I, I tell people all the time, the 18 inches from here, from my head to my heart, could be a million miles sometimes. You know, I had to wrestle with God, but the cool thing was is at Hannah's Haven, they pointed me back to me, and they pointed me to Christ. And that was the only, only place for me to go. So in that... Um, I have a tendency to be very raw, which brings my worship to a place of rawness. Um, but I, the, some of that comes from what I saw in addiction. You know, I mean, you know, I, I saw things in the mirror that were demonic. You know what I'm saying? I had visions, and so now I know that what I see is real. You know, and so it takes me to a very different place when I'm able to posture my heart and get myself in. You know what I'm saying? It's about what what, me and God. It's not about what you're seeing. It's about me and God. Now, does that happen every time? No. (laughs) Sometimes it's still about what other people are seeing around me. But now I know that I'm a daughter of Christ. I know that I'm a seed of Abraham. And I'm, I'm grateful to be that. I'm grateful to be grafted in. I'm grateful to be chosen. And I and because of that, I'll walk in a path of gratefulness that just, it's like I can't even put words on it except that time of worship, you know. So, But sonship for me is huge, and we do a lot of studies about who we are in Christ. Like Miss Bonnie said, that's what I did. That's not who I am. Who I am is a daughter of the Most High God. Wow. Awesome. Question on um, a lot of thoughts always are stirring anytime you're dealing with this drastic of a transition because you're you're coming out of a uh, of a bondage. You are going through that whole new creation process. Your identity is shifting from the thing that controlled you to who God has made you. Mm-hmm. Uh, all those powerful truths. And I can imagine a year of you spending just pouring into people's lives and seeing the transition little by little and and then different steps of that. But then you get to the end of that year. Mm-hmm. And for me, it looks like that's where the real struggle would begin Mm -hmm. because you've come in in desperation. Now you're no longer desperate, but you've got decisions and choices. You, and it's kind of like you said, to start with, when you went in yourself, that there wasn't a choice. This was the option. God opened the door for you and, and, and I'm here. Y'all got to do something with me. (laughs) I mean, the choices are made. God helped make those for you. Mm-hmm. Now, life becomes a series of choices and a whole new environment that is not that safe haven mm-hmm. that you have helped to create here. In 14 years, uh, 120-some, how many did you say have come through? 123. 123. Um, that, that is a lot of ladies. Congratulations on that. That's phenomenal. Um, 
what do you feel like and whether you've got actual statistics or not that would be ongoing, but what do you feel like the percentage of those that are able to do what you've been able to do? Stay clean, walk in that new life, walk in that new identity, and not give in to the pressures, you called it the people, places, and things that mm -hmm. had to change. Mm -hmm. But going back in, and, and many times uh, I can imagine that there would be no other way for them to go. They've got to go back to a certain portion of family or a familiar area or something and, and maybe not see a way that they can just break clean from everyone and everything. What percentage do you think of the people coming through the program there, the ladies that have been able to stay firm? Um, you know, I had that written down. But I left it laying on my desk when I, <laughs> when I found out that when I found out I was going to be like now, this. I know that guy's going to ask me one of these exactly, questions. <laughs> exactly, because I asked Miss Stephanie. I said, can you give me all that information before the day is over with? But one of the things that we are doing that we're in the process of doing, and uh, we saw that that was, um, we used to be a nine-month program, and after they finished the nine months, we graduated them. So then we found out that sometimes they get, they finish the nine months and they get to the end of the road, and they might be using right there. Then we got to the point where we moved it up to nine months, and then after three months, you come back and graduate. Then we found out that wasn't quite long enough. We get to the nine months, and then it was like some people needed some inner healing. And inner healing takes us to just going deeper in their inner self after they do the first initial things. So then, now we, goes up, we go up to a year in-house in and six months to a year outside. Then you come back for graduation. So you've got an 18-month period before you actually get to graduate. Right. So you have right. your last three months of the first 12 focusing on the the identity, the healing, mm -hmm. the inner healing. The inner healing. And then they're getting released as graduates, not quite graduated yet. Right. But they are out in that transition place. Right. Are there any... Are they, are, do they just leave the facility and go out on their own completely, or is there a halfway house? Yes, and or so what? what we're doing now is like after the initial nine months, we are in the process of building another house. And so we're building that other house right behind this house. And so then now they do step up. So when they finish the first initial phase, then they step up to the next house. Okay. And then they can go to the road. But right now, uh, we just got approved to pick up our permits. We just got approved this Thank week you. to pick up our yes. permits. Oh, wow. And we have been working on this for the last five years. Yes. Wow. So now Praise we God. just got approved mm -hmm. because we had to change our status. We had to change our... Um, Your zoning. Zoning. We had to change our zoning, and so we had, I had to go to the city and the county and all of this, and then we had to get somebody to draw up all of our plans, and somebody came and drew up our plans for us. Then we had to get them all approved and everything, and so we finally got that. We're able to go pick up our permit, but then we got to raise the funds. <laughs> <laughs> All that, now you got to have money. Yes, but God knew all that too. <laughs> yes, he did. He knew all that too. And so and so. once we build that house, then that's when we would do the step. 
but we do have a transition house. Okay. It's like phase three came before phase two. And it's like, <laughs> you know, and that's where these three ladies stay. Okay. They stay in the transition house. But before we started doing that, if they wasn't ready to leave, we didn't make them leave. We let them stay right there where they was at, and we helped them get a job. We helped them get uh, on their feet. We helped them pay off their rent. I mean, pay off all their bills and everything. But I can let them tell you about all of that. Trying to pay off the bills. The debt. Because I could imagine that coming out of the environment and lifestyle and problems that so many have faced, that that would incur a lot of debt. Yes, it did for me, and my stuff was overwhelming when I thought about it. But when I got a job, Miss Bonnie just walked with me through every bit of it. I was 10 years behind on my income taxes, and um, I had two different banks I owed money to and some other bills, and we just she taught me how to just pay a little bit on each one of them. We'd pay one, the smallest one we started with, went and paid it. The next one we just started, just started paying them off and um then I somebody got in touch with uh or the Lord just brought about a CPA and he helped me get my income tax straightened out and um and then the Lord allowed me to get a divorce my husband's still in was is still in active addiction so just like every little thing that I thought I didn't know what was going to happen. Like, God, I give you this because I, I don't know what to do with this. Miss Bonnie just walked with me and helped me just get it all straightened out. Now I have a checking account, a savings account. I was able to pay cash for my car. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and so it's wow. just like, it's amazing just what the Lord, yes. like, thank you, Jesus. All the things that he has done, and like, I live in the transition house. I didn't know, I knew I didn't want to go back to where I was at before I came in um, because it's just nothing but drugs. Just like Miss Bonnie said, you know, I've changed, but nothing else has changed. So um, when it came time for me to leave, the transition house wasn't ready. So Miss Bonnie let me come and live at, with her at her, her home. So I got to live at her house for six months while we're waiting on the transition house. And it's just been one blessing after another with us, us three being there and we all of us work and we all, it's just... It, we just live in unity, and it's just it's just awesome. The little house that we live in, um, uh, a lady that's real involved in Hannah's Haven, her family donated the house, and it was um, we had people come and look at it to help us fix it, and they said this house needs to be tore down. It's not worth fixing, and you know that's how we came. We came all messed up, <laughs> tore down, you know. And, but God said no, you know. So we went in, all of us went in, and we we demoed the thing, took it down to the studs, and then we had a builder come in and build it up and it's it's better than any fixer-upper yes. I mean yes. it is it is amazing what this little house and what it means to us wow and we're just so thankful to be there that is mm -hmm. incredible yes. so employment where do you where do you start well um I know for me sorry <laughs> um for me I just wanted to be faithful with what God had put in front of me. Um, so I know I had worked at like a fruit stand um, or vegetable stand that a lady had that is really involved with Hannah's Haven. And then I ended up working at the bridge and what I didn't the bridge? have Hannah's bridge. That's our thrift store <laughs> or more of like a thrift boutique. Um, but 
it was just like amazing. I know one day like I wanted to be part of Hannah's Haven, but working at Hannah's Bridge, like I never would have imagined doing that. Um, and then God just really opened up the door for me to be able to go to a dermatologist's office. I had no qualifications. I do not have a great past work history prior to Hannah's Haven. And I know for a little while I had like struggled with the fact of, well, my history. I have a colorful history with my drug use and um, everything else, but I feel like God put me there on an assignment. And it's like, even there, I want to be faithful, whether it's praying for people at work or sharing about what the Lord's done in my life. Um, And just being faithful with that until the next season. I don't know when that will be, but I know where he's put me now. And it's only because of him that my life looks like it does. Because it does not make no sense if I look at it through my own lenses. So it's just amazing. And yeah, we have a thrift store that we have hired a few of the ladies that come through the program and we hire them um, to work there. We, they don't just volunteer. We don't have them to go there to volunteer. We hire them as paid employees. And then that way, um, because the thrift store is a bridge. It's called Hannah's Bridge. And it's a bridge to help ladies bridge back into the community. That's why we call it Hannah's Bridge. And um, so, and we have so many other people that open doors for our ladies to come and work there. You know, um, and God just started opening doors for these women to pay off their debt and to... um, go to work somewhere. And the lady, that man that hired her, it's another one of Hannah's Haven ladies that work there. And they make pretty good money there. And, you know, they're able to pay off the debt and they're able to live comfortably, you know. And Kaylee even bought her a car that um, the credit union gave her a loan for. Wow. You that know? I thought was going to be impossible, too, because <laughs> wow. of our credit score. <laughs> I would see it go up, and then I seen it go back down. And I think I had started becoming too dependent on that instead of God. It was in my ability, not his ability. But I knew what he called me to do. So when it started going down, I was like, I don't understand. Like you, If this is what I'm supposed to do, I need you to do this because I'm not going to be able to. And at that point, I kind of took my hands off. And then it was like so easy going in there and talking to them and being pre-approved and no money down. And then I didn't even have to go look for a car. My family did. I went and beat the bushes with Tanya one day, like all day. (laughs) And every door kept getting shut. And then my aunt sends me something. And she went and test drove it. And everything, all I had to do was sign on the dotted line. And I just had to rest. Like, I feel like he's been showing me that so much. And just this journey is just rest in him. And he will figure out everything else that it's not up to us. And so we we also, I also have two of these ladies that's in, um, we walk with them through being in an internship. We're trying to prepare them to work with other women preparing them to go out and and be able to help other women the way they have been helped. And they can be able to be so so into other women. So that's the process that we're doing with those two now. It's like taking them through a deeper inner healing, learning about shame, fear, control, like Adam and Eve, how they went into, when God walked through that, he was like, where are you? And they hid because they was ashamed. And so then the fear came because they tried to cover up 
the shame, you know, that control came because I was trying to cover up my fears and, you know, and so teaching them how they don't have to cover it up no more and they don't have to walk in shame, fear and, you know, and um, so and then I can teach other women how not to do that, too. Wow. The devil likes to keep skeletons in our closets. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, sir. Uh-huh. So that's the part that's the part we're at now. We're trying to raise funds just so we can go down and pick up the permits and then get started on the next stage. So tell us a little bit about this house that you're that you've got the permits you're ready to pick up for. What size is it? What are you what are your plans with it? How many more beds or how how is that going to work? Um, this house will be um, just 2,500 square feet okay. because the county said that, like, the house we're in now is 5,000 square feet or 4,500, somewhere in there. And we can only do half of the square footage in the next house because it's on the same property line. So we um being able to have six up more women, so we'll be able to double our capacity and have up to 12 to 15 women on our property now. Wow. And so, um, and then um, and just take them into a deeper place, a deeper healing, and then teach them how to go out and work the way we're teaching these women. Teach them how to pay off their debt the way we've taught them. Teach them how to get, like each one of them are in a different church. They have a different pastor. They meet with their pastors. They're in small groups. They meet with small groups. They have mentors. They meet with their mentor. You know, so each one of these women are doing, um, they're doing their own thing that they don't do it with us. We still walk with them some because we want them to learn how to be ministers of the gospel. So we walk with them so in turn they can help other women the way they have been um, trained. They have been trained how to come out of it, but they haven't been trained how to administer it. So now we're teaching them how to train, training them how to administer the healing. Wow. That is fascinating. I know that I know there's got to be a lot of struggles with that, <laughs> but the joys and the the payoffs in seeing lives changed that's phenomenal that just i I'm just sitting here trying to soak all of that in and imagine what that is like. I got a question for you guys as you are speaking right now because you guys are talking about recovery, how much of helping others in this path ha- is helping you guys in your own process? Because sometimes when we start to analyze our lives, we become so self-absorbed. Well, this is my struggle, my fight. And sometimes it's very hard to see that when God is allowing things to happen because nobody, we, no, we, we didn't ask to be born in the family that we've been born in the circumstances and the culture. I mean, sometimes that just happened. And sometimes it's not only nature, but nurture. But how much of you guys see helping others in this process as part of your process of getting to the next level? I think for me, being able to be, I want to work in full-time ministry. I know that's what I've been called to, but as Miss Bonnie said, you know, I have, I'm still receiving healing in some things. Um, I, it, I know that I'm in a place where you, I can't minister from a place of hurt, you know, so I'm, I'm, it, for me to be able to be there and have that in the, 
further inner healing that will takes place um, really as on a daily basis in some way or another. I work at the bridge right now, but I'm also, as Miss Bonnie said, we're starting our internship at Hannah's Haven. And so to be around people who are just daily coming out of stuff is just, I mean, you're just, we're just saturated in an atmosphere. I mean, the best way for me to describe it, I mean, it must sound silly to people when I say this, but I mean, we're literally saturated in Jesus juice. It is the coolest thing ever. I can't imagine being somewhere where that's not happening for me all the time. I mean, it's just, it. we're just, it's, there's something amazing going on around us all the time. What, what gets me and what helps me is, is so satisfying because, you know, giving back. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, and then they these women make me not forget. Yes. Mm -hmm. I don't forget where I come from. And it's been 27 years and I don't forget where I come from. I don't forget how it was out there in my addiction, because I feel like if I forget it, I might repeat it. And I don't want to repeat that lifestyle because that was a nasty lifestyle doing things you never thought that you would do to keep up with your addiction. You know, and and being with people that you never thought that you would be with and just the things that you have to do to keep up the addiction lifestyle is just unthinkable, you know, and knowing that God brought me out of it. And when God brought me out of it, he brought me out of it and I'm clean. If I can, I'm clean. And that's a miracle. Not just, and I'm not sick, because I could have been sick, but God. And um, women every day let me know that, that that addiction haven't changed out there, that lifestyle haven't changed. And when I see the women children, and I see the hurt in their eyes, and it reminds me of the hurt I saw in my children's eyes, 27 years ago. And I let well, other women know that you don't have to look at that hurt forever. They heal too. That gets real. Mm -hmm. That gets real. Mm -hmm. You don't get that side of it at the beginning. No. When everything has that glitter to it. Mm -hmm. And that's luring you in because... This is so much fun and so much enjoyment, and and this is going to make you popular. This is what your friends are doing, and and this is what you're going to really enjoy, and you're crazy not to do this. Mm -hmm. The flip side that you're describing is eye-opening mm -hmm. because all of our promotions and advertising and, and our culture seems to be bent toward the other it's all this is all good and then you've got the things you're describing there mm -hmm. i mean while, while you're talking i'm sitting here just feeling that gripping because it's like the just trying to identify with what that's got to feel like looking into your own children's eyes and seeing nothing but hurt mm -hmm. look looking at the things you're having to do to keep up with what's now gotten control of you. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. That's what the TV ads ought to be running. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the reality. Mm -hmm. How do you guys see 
because obviously addiction takes many forms and that's something that I, I fear most of the time because this new generation is facing a lot of addictions that are looking like this, like a mm -hmm. phone. And uh, that always changed the behavior. Obviously, you are not gonna, you know, the consequences might be different, but at the end of the day, the effect is the same, you know? I see a lot of kids uh, that, and sometimes I've been told that addiction is because it's trying to substitute the absence of love, relationship, mm -hmm. and well, like you said, identity. And now we have a new generation that is all submerged in this technology, in all this uh, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever you want to call it. So what do you guys see with that, knowing that addiction is the monster that you guys are defeating every day, and how you see now modern society, how it's getting immersed in this world right now? Well, I know for me, um, I mean, addiction does take many forms. You can be addicted to anything. Um, and it masks itself in many different forms, whether it's with work or um, messing with video games or anything else. But it's like with the whole technology thing that I know that I've witnessed is it's an isolation. But that's all addiction is, is mm -hmm. isolating and pulling you away from being that's able good. to get help or feeling like you can't actually reach out to somebody but everything ends up shutting you off, and then that's exactly where the enemy wants you is closed off in a corner because then he's got you. Um, and even, like, with a phone or video games or heroin or cocaine or alcohol, it is a battle to break free. But it's like you have to make up in your mind, I I'm done with this. And... But then at the same time, like when you're done, you have to find something to fill it with. Mm -hmm. You can't just yes. have an empty space mm -hmm. because it's going to come back and it's going to come back with a vengeance, in, in my opinion. But it's like the only thing I know for me, there's always been this hunger in my life for something. I needed something filled that is not fillable with anything on earth, regardless of whether it's a parent or a sibling or a child or anything else but it's this special place that God wove into us at the beginning of our lives in the womb that was fit just for him and it's like everybody's hungry and on this search but they haven't fastened onto it and I see that a lot in the world is just a lot of hungry sad sick people that don't know the answer um and it's like just being able to pray and also being able to rise up in order to push back that spirit of isolation and trying to bring just God's love into the world. That is so, damn, mm -hmm. like, so in the, in the target. Because that's what I feel like is happening to this new generation. You, you get behind your iPad, computer, whatever, mm -hmm. and you lost them. And mm -hmm. then you try to, let's get in the table, let's talk, how was your day? And it's mm -hmm. impossible sometimes. Yeah, They don't know how to relate anymore. Mm -hmm. There's a separation. We, we know, obviously, you need money because you're trying to build a house. <laughs> Tell us a few things that stand out to you that you really need. Prayers. People to pray for us and to intercede when women can't pray for themselves. Because, and pray that the staff will continue, won't get tired of doing what is right. Mm-hmm. 
that we would keep keep our eyes focused on Jesus. Boy, that's a lot. Yes, one of the things that the girls have to memorize are character qualities. And the first character quality that everyone has to realize, memorize is endurance. And I feel like we as staff need to do it first. And it was we need to maintain a commitment to a goal during times of pressure, knowing when and how to invest our time and energy and laying aside all hindrances. And so it's like God teaches how to lay aside what might hinder us. When these girls want to spit in our face, <laughs> when they walk outside of Hannah's Haven and they talk junk about us, yeah. when they walk out because they don't agree with what we've done or when one of them die. A lot of heartache is in there. Yes. Yes. So praying for the staff that we will stay bold and stay strong. And keep our eyes focused on Jesus. And we don't stop doing what is right. And then, you know, what what helps me is I think about Jesus. And I think about him and his disciples. And how they didn't all follow him either. And you did lose some. Yeah. That's got to be heavy after all these years of doing this. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I, I could tell the first time that I had the privilege of meeting you that you have a heart of compassion and love. You, you appear to me to be a very strong lady that has to be strong to do what you've done. Mm-hmm. But you can feel the love and the compassion just being around you. That's why all these women are around you and trust mm-hmm. you and have listened to your leadership and your teaching and all those things because you're genuine and they know how much you love them. But that obviously makes you very vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And I I can only imagine the heartache you've had to experience, Mm -hmm. even to the extreme of those that you love going back and dying. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. Well, your commitment to that endurance, Mm -hmm. that is phenomenal. Mm Mm-hmm. So we certainly commend you here for all that you're doing and all that you will do. And we have a thrift store, too, that um, we take in gently used items, jewelry, furniture, uh, men and women clothing. um, And we sell it back to the community so that we can continue to bridge the women back to the community. That is so we take donations Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, ten to five thirty. A Monday through Saturday on Lawndale, twenty one forty four, Lawndale Avenue, yep. Greensboro. Yes, and we just want your prayers. Give us a uh, give us a landmark. I I know where that's at, but you pick the landmark there that you've got several things around you. What's the most familiar thing? Outback is across the there street. There you go. Yes. Yep. And um, they got a Habitat for Humanity on the um, corner now too. And is if anybody know Bill Mangum, he was a local artist. It used to be his studio. Okay. And it's by Hops Burger. Well, you hit all the places I was going to say. Taco <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Yes. So. That is very good. That's that good. is good for the employment, for the revenue generation, and 
and getting the community and supporters engaged with you. Uh, you folks have done some incredible things here to make this work. It takes a lot whenever you're scratching something out like you've done here. That's a lot. Anything else you need? <laughs> money, money, money. And somebody want to go and pay for the permits to be picked up? People listening to the podcast, where can find information about the ministry to want to donate money? Where they can find all this information? Um, you can, we have a website, hannishaven.net, H-A-N-N-A-H-S-H-A-V-E-N dot net. Our post office box is post office box 14724, Greensboro, North Carolina, 27415. And we do have a Facebook page. Hannah's Haven Teen Challenge Facebook, and we have a Hannah's Bridge Facebook. Okay. Do you have a, I, I know that there will obviously be different things uh, donated and volunteered and, and so forth in the building of the new house. Yes. Do you have a, per, a, a projected budget yet, though? I think it's around $350,000. Okay. And some of that will be uh, come in the form of contributions, some in donated labor, some right. in materials, Material. uh, on and on. Right. So if you know someone that say, I got, we're having four toilets in there. So say somebody might say, I want to donate four bathrooms, you know, or they want to donate the stove, the refrigerator, or, you know, so there's a lot of ways that right. don't, we will receive donation material. You know? Well, you're you're in a faith walk. Yes, yes, and, and I trust the Lord. Yeah, my wife and I well know what that feels like. Uh, the first church we pioneered, the the Lord gave me a print of the building we were supposed to build, with no money, and not a large enough congregation. We had pioneered the work, and just starting to get off the ground. And here we had this building that we needed to build because we were out of space in the little place we were meeting in. We had the property. And I was I was at my wit's end. I didn't know what we were going to do. It's like, God, you've put this on my heart, just like he's put this on your heart. Mm -hmm. But we have no resources. We don't have the people. I have no idea how we're going to go about this. And the Lord ended up giving us an architect that helped us, actually donated his work, a very notable architect in our region. But he was not the first one I went to. The first one I went to with my little drawing, it was a large enough building, but my crude sketch of it, the first one looked at me as a young pastor and said, son, how much money do y'all have? Well, he knew we didn't have any money. He could tell looking at what I drove up in that we didn't have any money. He tapped on the paper and laughed mm. and said, you can't afford my fee for this building. How do you intend to build this building? Mm. I've got a feeling that you know some of what that feels like. Um, 
I went back to the church property, totally distraught. And I got out in the yard with a tape and a pick and some ribbon and started staking out the foundation of the building God told me to build. I said, God, you're either going to send me some help or I will die right here digging this foundation ditch because I'm not going to quit mm -hmm. until you do one of the two. Mm -hmm. You've put this heavy on my heart, and mm -hmm. I have no way of doing it. Mm -hmm. On top of the fact the architect, architect had totally crushed my emotions and insulted me by laughing at me, that, that just made me mad. So it wasn't all spiritual. <laughs> I stood on that property working on that foundation and honestly day after day God sent people to me that I had never met he sent an electrician he gave us the architect to start with that drew the print so we could officially get started gave us help with permits and all I remember the electrician that pulled in because it was a new project he could see happening, wanting to bid the job. And I began to explain to him what we were doing. And the Spirit of God got a hold of that man. And he never met him before in my life. Gave us $13,000. HVAC people that came in that I had never met gave us $18,000. Plumbers that I did not know that came in and gave us $10,000. And it just goes on and on and on. And the next thing you know, we're in a building filled with new worshipers. And I'm standing there like, God, how in the world did you do that? People, people came in off the street and just handed us money because the Spirit of God spoke to them. Without that, and that's been 20-some 20, 20 years ago, and I still remember the numbers and the faces because I had the privilege of being a part of the miracle God was doing in my life, in the community, and in those people's lives that came to give to us. Mm -hmm. I'm going to step out tonight and say that you're going to experience that. People are going to get engaged. God's put it in your heart. He's opened the door. He makes a way when every man says there's no way. God makes a way. Wow. How about if we pray? Can we do that? Father, thank you so much. Dear God, thank you for your spirit filling this room tonight. Thank you for these precious ladies. Thank you for the work that is being done. Thank you for the heart and the calling and the deliverance, the power, the anointing, the the strength, the miracles, everything that you have given, the people that you have called together in this phenomenal work. 
God, I thank you that we could be touched by it and that in some way we could touch it tonight. So God, I ask for you to open up the heavens and Lord, every miracle you've allowed us to experience, I ask that you would double that mm. for these ladies. Mm. The anointing you have privileged us to taste of and to walk in, I ask that you would, you would cause that to overflow in a way that they cannot even imagine tonight. God, I ask for that spirit of deliverance to flow so strongly that my sister would not have to watch any more of these ladies that she loves go back into the old ways, go back into the bondage, and certainly not have to stand by their casket mm. after they have died. God, we speak life over this ministry. Yes, God. We speak healing. Yes, God, we yes. speak your power. Yes, God. We speak favor. Yes, God. Favor among those that have resources. Yes, God. To make the kingdom of God move in the way that you have designed. Because, God, everything that we have belongs to you. Yes, Jesus. So call those resources in for my sister tonight. God, I know it's heavy on her heart. She has carried the load. But, God, you're the one that says to cast the burdens over on you because you're able to take that. Carry this load for my sister tonight. Yes, bring in the money. Bring in the favor. Bring in the materials. Bring in the tradesmen. Bring in all the resources necessary to make this happen. And then, God, we're not going to stop there. But we ask for the Lord of the harvest to bring in the laborers to work with the harvest that the building is designed for. Yes, God. Because it is not about the structure, it's about what inhabits the structure. Bring in the ladies that are going to walk in freedom. Mm. For mm. the first time in their life, they will taste and see how good your freedom is. My mm. Lord, thank you. Lord Jesus, together we just lift our voices and proclaim how much we love you because tonight yes, we remember how far you have brought us from. Yes, God. These ladies are not alone in that journey, but each one of us have been brought from a very long ways. Mm. And while we might stand tonight feeling smug and confident, God, we realize how vulnerable we are in our own flesh. Mm. Mm. How weak we are in our own abilities. Yes, God. And we thank you for how secure we are Amen. in your grace and your power, your love and your strength. Yes, God. In Jesus' name.